Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no. She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. There's no weekend like a weekend getaway on a Royal Caribbean cruise, where you can surf the perfect wave on the flow rider, sip exotic cocktails poolside at the Lime and Coconut, then shoot down the tallest water slide in North America and relax on the white sand beaches of our private island. Perfect day at Coco Cay. This is where you discover the weekend you've always wanted. This is where you weekend like you mean it. Book a Royal Caribbean adventure today sailing from Florida. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Coming up on the payoff. Happy holidays to everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I had a chance to go back to Philadelphia over the holiday. I had a chance to go to Synergy Houses and speak to some of the guys there about sobriety, about my story. One of the guys there, one of the guys in charge over there, is Doug Overton. And Doug played in the NBA for more than a decade, and he's been in recovery for years. I'm of the assumption and the belief that Doug could probably be anywhere he wants to be right now. But he chooses to carry the message to the guys at Synergy Houses right now. And the girls at Synergy Houses, too. They just opened up a female house down the block. So it was great to go back there to Synergy, to see Doug, to see my man Eric Blindenbacher. My brother went with me. Uh, Murph went with me. Two of my main sober guys, of course. And uh, I got to see Doug. And I want to share Doug's story with you again. It was one of the most listened to this year. And, and I was lucky enough, we were lucky enough, right, to have a lot of great guests this year. Started with Tony Mandrich. Had guys like Mike Jaminski and Jason Williams on at the same time. Chris Terrian, you might know him as Bundy. The guy who wrote the Lakers drama for HBO, Jim Hecht. My friend Hillary Phelps, twice gentry of Instagram and TikTok fame. NFL great Randy Grimes, former Cowboys quarterback Quincy Carter. We'll also call him an NFL great. And I've left a bunch of people out. But the bottom line is go back and you can listen to all these if you just want to catch up on some great stories of sobriety. That's what this is all about. One other piece of news directly correlated to sobriety. Uh, I should share this. I got an email this morning from ESPN uh, about doing four more college basketball games, the opportunity to call four more college basketball games. Uh, I've already done several this year, and these are Big 12 games on a national stage. And that's progress for me in my career, and it's all correlated to sobriety. And the good people at ESPN have given me chances. Other people around the country have given me chances, and I can't thank them enough. And the only way I can thank them is to be prepared and do a good job, and of course, just work a program of sobriety every day. Not every day is a great day, right? It's not all unicorns and rainbows, but if I'm working the program, uh, my average is usually pretty good, and life is pretty fulfilling. All right, that's enough of me. You've had plenty. Let's get to my main man, Doug Overton. But first, Kevin Souza. One more thing. Uh, subscribe and like the podcast. I never say that. Um, probably an ego thing, but that's all. All right.
seven. Three and a half to go in the first half. So smooth. Whoops. He goes down. Overton for three. Bingo. Got a ball back, baby. Hey, Pete. <laughs> Doug Overton. What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. You sound great. Listen, by the way, I was thinking, you notice I'm I'm on time. I was never I was never late for uh for Inside the Armor. If you remember that show we used to do. <laughs> remember that? Yes, absolutely, man. Always on time, buddy. So for for people that are listening, this is not our first sit down. We used to get I was uh-huh. I, I was lucky enough when I worked in the D League and you were the you were working for the Nets and you were the head coach of the uh Springfield Armor. I think it was every week, every Monday we would sit down. And we would yeah. do, we would do inside the armor. You were very <laughs> you were very patient and tolerant with me then, so I appreciate you doing it again now. <laughs> That's why I could take your call now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you at today? I'm I'm back in Philly. Okay. Um, yep, been here for a few years. Um, right now I'm I'm running my training company. I, I train young kids uh, basketball in, in in the Philadelphia area. Doing really well with that, and um, also working with uh, Timmy Brooks and um, the Synergy House um, Recovery uh, Living Facility for for young men in uh, in, in this area. So, uh, you know, got my hands full, but enjoying life and, and and happy where I'm at right now today. Been through a lot these last few years, but but thankful to be here. Yeah, I mean, you you've been through a shitload, and you've been you've been working your ass off. Uh... From what I've heard, and that's something you kind of always had. That's how you last, what, 11 years in the NBA with eight different teams? Yeah, yeah 12 years. Yep, 12 years in the league. I coached another 10 years. Yeah, you've given a lot to the game of basketball, and now you're kind of giving a lot to the game of life. I, I, I want to go back to just your, your, you know, your childhood and growing up. So did you, go, you went to Dobbins Tech in North mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Did you grow up in North Philly? Yeah, uh, grew up in Philly, Germantown section of Philly. Um, and uh, well, I have family all over. My mother's from Southwest Philly. My dad's from South Philly. Uh, aunts uh, live in North Philly. So, like, spend most of my time all over the place, especially when my parents separated. Um, but mostly grew up in, in, in Germantown and West Oak Lane section. Um, and my cousin would end up going to Dobbins, who's like a brother to me. He was two years older and then. Uh, of course, the right thing was to follow him down there and end up going to Dobbins and, you know, the rest is history. What was it like growing up in that area? Was it was basketball your life from as early as you can remember? Oh, yeah, man, basketball. You know, I started out playing football, believe it or not, um, until they, they put me on the offensive line, gave me number 62. <laughs> that was the end of that. And I was like, hold up, man. I wanted to be Franco Harris or Lynn Swan or somebody they like, yeah, you tall, get on the offensive line. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it also was a great thing for me, like, because it just taught me a lot of discipline. I ended up playing with some great guys who ended up being some great football players in the city. And, um, you know, they kind of gave me my first team-building experience. And then, But then I just started picking up the basketball. I realized, it, um, you know, that, that that was the thing I wanted to do. And then so, so many great players growing up in Philly, man, just in the playgrounds and, just, um, you know, guys I was growing up with um, mentoring me and, and playing under their, you know, following their lead. Man, I just I got hooked up with John Harnett, and uh, he started teaching us the game and playing down at Gustine Lake in, in East Falls. 
Um, I started playing Sunny Hill when I was about 11, 12 in the, in the, in the development league, um, playing against kids from all over the city. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, wow, you know, I, I could be pretty good at this. And, and, you know, by the time I got to Dobbins, you know, I was playing varsity in the ninth grade. And I believe I was the first freshman um, in, in public school uh, history to play varsity. I think that was the first year they allowed freshmen to play varsity. Um, and uh, I think it was myself and Brian Shorter who played that grad. Brian Shorter, yes. Yeah. yeah, we we both played freshmen, you know, played varsity as freshmen. I think that was the first year they allowed freshmen to play. Brian Shorter, um, went to, he went to Pitt, right? Yeah, he ended up going to Pitt. Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, we came out the same time. So, yeah, that was, you know, that great Dobbins team with Hank and Bo and, and, um, and you? you know, Garrett Gates and stuff. Yeah, we, we had a hell of a team, hell of a run. Uh, you sure did. And, and, and you know, growing, growing up for you in that area, the, the one thing about you that I think a lot of men and women can relate to as far as addiction is concerned is you, you, you were a late bloomer in a sense that, you know, you didn't really, from, from the outside looking in at least, alcohol or, or drugs, whatever you want to call it, didn't affect your life until like six years ago, right? Yeah, correct. We hit the right on money, man. I'm 52 years old. I'd be 53 in August. And um, I didn't really start. I, I picked up my first joint, you know, seven years ago, six years ago. Um, so when you're and, in high school, uh, when you're in high school at Dobbins and you're, you're in North Philly, you're not smoking weed. Uh, nope. You're not getting sidetracked at all. Are you drinking at all? No, no. You know, occasionally a beer here and there. I, you know, I can't say when I wasn't in college or high school, you know, drink a 40 every now and then. But it was, you know, not something that, uh, you know, that we, we really was involved. I mean, Hank Gathers, and, and, man, we played ball 24 hours a day. Yeah. And uh, although we, it was around us a lot, um, you know, that was just something like, hey, look, man, you know, we focus, we locked in, this is what we do. And and, and those guys that were involved in that, like, they knew. Like, it, it was a different code back then. It was like, yo, leave those guys alone. They separate. They play ball. And, 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 and you know, we don't do this. And, and, and they kind of looked out for us to make sure we stayed on the right path as well. So, you know, that was something that, I, that you know, never really was my thing. And, um, you know, until somehow later in life I decided to to you know venture down that road when you were back in 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 north philly was there was there stress around that like like those living conditions or was that something where hey i'm i this is just my life you know normal's kind of what you get used to and uh yeah you know you're playing well, I mean, you're, you're playing hoops go ahead yeah no i mean it, 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 it was i mean it was it, it was it was definitely part of what was the deal i mean you gotta remember in the early 80s you know, I came to high school was eighty three in North Philly to eighty seven and then went to LaSalle from eighty seven to ninety. You know, that was in the middle of, you know, the crack epidemic. And um, you know, a lot of friends, a lot of guys I was growing up with, even guys that play ball, you know, started, you know, you know, dealing you know, dealing drugs in, in, in that area. So you had the drug dealers, you had the crack explosion. Um, you know, you remember those drug wars back then with, you know, the you know, Junior Black Mafia and, yeah. and the Jamaicans and like it was it was all over the place. Addiction was running really rampant with um you know with uh with, with you know with with that crack hitting it hitting it. urban America all over the place. 
Um, so like, yeah, we, we seen it live, you know, we seen, you know, girls we went to school with getting hooked on that stuff and parents and, you know, you know, I have family members, you know, going to jail. I have my best friend, um, who I play ball with, you know, got caught up in, in, in that life and ended up getting killed a few years later after I graduated from LaSalle and I just lost so many, you know, people who, you know, got caught up in that, that fast life of drugs and money and, and all that. So, you know, it, it, it was tough, you know, playing in the summer leagues and, you know, seeing like that going on while we was playing it, like, yo man, you know, you got to stay locked in and, you know, try to make a way for my family, you know, to get out. But, yeah, the addiction was, you know, now you don't think of it like that. You know, it just becomes like just part of, uh, I guess, how things were. And mm-hmm. not thinking like, man, like, you know, it, it, you know, we just dealt with it. You know, a lot yeah. of people, you know, we, we didn't know really how to handle it and how to, how to uh, process it back then. It was just part of life. We'll get back to this conversation in a second. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Hey there, homeowners. Is it time to give your yard a complete makeover this summer? Villani Landshapers, a local family-owned business, has been transforming landscapes for more than 20 years. Villani Landshapers specializes in landscape design build, retaining walls, outdoor living spaces, and so much more. Request your free consultation today and check out their gallery of residential work at villani-landshapers.com. From the host of the popular podcast, The Only One in the Room, Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins is a propulsive and vivid memoir about the journey to sobriety and self-love amidst addiction, privilege, racism, and self-sabotage. Best-selling author Holly Whitaker calls it an irresistibly delicious story. And MacArthur Foundation fellow and best-selling author Kiese Lehman says Stash is emotionally riveting. Buy Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins now, wherever books are sold. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated, and you might have a lot of questions, like, what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or, what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news, State Farm is there for all your what-ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. This episode is brought to you by Starbucks Double Shot Energy, the perfect pick-me-up for your mental focus. B vitamins, guarana, and ginseng give you the energy to power through. With several delicious flavors to choose from, including vanilla, mocha, and white chocolate, there's a taste for any occasion. Feel your focus. Starbucks Double Shot Energy is available online at grocery stores, convenience stores, and gas stations nationwide. Ah, hammock? Check. Arnold Palmer? Check. Motorized solar shades? Yes, please. Get your home spring ready with Blinds.com. Upgrading your home with custom window treatments from Blinds.com is a small project with a huge impact. Relax and let Blinds.com handle the install. It's easy. Just click installation at checkout. Plus, Blinds.com has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Save 45% off selected products at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. That's that's heavy duty, right? Because you're kind of in the middle of that, but you're ba- you're playing your way out, and and you're right. staying locked in, and it's like you're you're almost wise beyond your years, uh, because you look at kids today, and you're working with with some of them at Synergy House, when when they're just younger, 
Uh, we're prone to, we're just prone to make bad decisions, period. And, and it's almost like you didn't have, you didn't have room for error as a kid uh, in order to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and like I was, I mean, I could just say I was one of the ones that that, that paid attention to those talks we got um, from guys and seeing, you know, you know, guys getting killed and, and guys growing up getting locked up. Get, I mean, this has happened to guys like I went to high school with close friends of mine, watching them die and young, and it was like, man, I, I I've been in a car with some of these guys. I like I went out with some of these guys. Not like we, you know, we weren't around it it was just you know you know by the grace of god like things didn't you know one bad turn or or um you know yeah maybe i was fortunate because i i had that that outlet where you know i had a scholarship to play division one basketball had a chance to 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 make a living doing this or whatever or getting a college degree some guys is like hey man you know things ain't work out you know i play high school basketball and you know, didn't go to college, and hey, I got opportunity to, to go down this road, or or maybe some of the guys even got got hooked on the stuff, or drinking became a big thing. So, like I said, man, I look back at it now, and I see kids that that get caught up with it, like you said, kids that we dealing with all the stuff that you got going on today. You know, it could have easily happened to me. You know, it, it just me having the right people in my life, and me paying attention and locking in. With, I just made that decision not not to go down that road. That Division One scholarship, you go to the you go to LaSalle, but who else was recruiting you, and where else? I'm, I'm sure a lot of coaches and schools are recruiting you, but where else did you think about going? Um, well, it came down. Yeah, I had a lot of schools, Rutgers, BCs. Uh, I took a visit to USC. Uh, 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 believe it or not, out of Southern Cal. Hank <laughs> and Bo had just signed two years before they signed at Southern Cal. And um, the coach uh, there was uh, recruiting me, and um, and then uh, Stan Morrison got got let go, and um, George Ravlin got hired. Remember that? Oh yeah, George he Ravlin, was yeah, uh-huh. a local guy. Yeah, George was a local guy. Villanova. And uh, yeah, Villanova, Philly guy, Sheltonham, and he actually continued to recruit me because he tried to get Bo and Hank to stay. Um, but they end up transferring to Loyola Marymount to play for Paul Westhead, who was another LaSalle guy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it was funny that both both schools continued to recruit me because I was two years behind them. So I, I visited USC um, with George Ravlin and also Loyola Marymount. And I was like, what the hell is Loyola Marymount? Nobody heard of that. Other than, like, Hank and Bo going in, they like, yo, Doug, you got to come here. Like, we, like Westhead got this system. You know, we're going to be the number one scoring team in the country. You can come here and we can run all day and we're going to average 100 and something. I'm like, come on, man. Nobody heard of it all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, you kidding me. So, and I'm like, I'm not going that far. Like, I'd rather go to USC, but I'm like, I can't go to USC. And those guys right down the street, they're going to kill me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how the heck you choose USC and we down, we at Loyola? So I end up saying, well, I made the decision. I'm like, well, I'd rather go to LaSalle. The Lionel Simmons just signed the year before. And we beat Lionel in the public league championship in 85. Um, so I visit LaSalle. I say, hey, this is an opportunity for me to stay home. I say, if LaSalle, if Lionel, you know, All-American, he can choose to go to LaSalle. He was player of the year. I was 87 player of the year. I said, I can go to LaSalle too. I said, I'd much rather pass him the ball 20 times a game then got to pass it to Hank and Bo 40 times a game. <laughs> <laughs> so that yeah. was my logic. 
So I was like, yo, I could play for Speedy Mars, you know, Philly legend. And Lionel was like, yo, man, you know, we building something here. You know, it was an opportunity for me to stay home and my family can continue to go watch the games. I mean, and, uh, and, you, and you did. It's funny. Yeah. You told me two things there, and both of them came true. Uh, Hank and Bo turned that program into, the, you know, the, the most phenomenal offensive fireworks display we've probably ever seen in college basketball, playing for mm-hmm. Paul Westhead, who people can identify with him maybe even a little more now with the Showtime uh, Lakers show uh, on, on HBO, Winning Time, um, where, where Westhead is featured in that show. And, uh, you know, because he coached the Lakers before he ended up coaching those guys. But you and Randy Woods and Lionel Simmons uh, playing for Speedy Morris, you guys put LaSalle on the map. I mean, you really did. LaSalle had a rich tradition. But back, yeah. you know, you put him back on the map in the 80s. You guys made three NCAA tournaments. I think you did at least. Uh, mm-hmm. Three straight. And uh, it was what was happening with, with Philly and the Big Five was so cool. And Oh, yeah. For, for, what what are some of your memories playing for LaSalle? Oh man, it was it was it was awesome. You I mean you're talking about you know I grew up watch going to the Palestra. Um, you know, remember the streamers and 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 the pretzels and hot dogs. Oh yeah. And you know John used to, John Hernet used to take us to the games and, and and you sit there. It's almost like you just you're there all day. You know, it's like you're watching, like, LaSalle play and Penn play. Villanova, like, you, it, it just seemed like you, it was just something to do. Like, you know, you're watching, you know, my guy, I was a big Mo Martin fan at St. Joe's, um, Maurice Martin. Like, I loved him. That's why I wore number – everybody think I wore number 11 because Isaiah Thomas, but I actually loved Mar- Mo Martin at St. Joe's. That was, like, my guy growing up, six six point guard. Um and then, like, LaSalle with Steve Black and Ralph Lewis and all those guys, Temple, you know, with uh, Granger Hall and Stansberry. Like, I grew up watching them, so, like, it was easy for me, you know, to, to, you know, once we played at the Civic Center or, or half our games at the Palestra. Okay. And it was great, you know, with Temple and, you know, they had Mark Macon and Howard Evans. And oh, yeah. They were, like, num- number one team in the country and then – um, you know, next next year we my sophomore year we started getting ranked and winning. You know, like you said, winning our conference and, and being Big Five. You know, competing for Big Five championships. So, you know, it was just great, man. It was just like like you said, it was just a great time for for for, for basketball in this area. Um, and uh, you know, just competitive. Those games are like super super um, rivalries. Um, you know, where everybody got involved. And, you know, most of the talent stayed home back in those days. So, you know, Temple was a bunch of Philly, you know, guys that we seen over the summer. Yeah. So it was like we was bragging rights all the time. Like we playing in the Sunny Hill College League or we going from one campus to the next, you know, playing pickup games or maybe we playing down at Gustine Lake. And, um, you know, you had the Pooh Richardsons from UCLA and those guys, Hank and Bo coming home from the summer. So it was like, yo, man, it, <laughs> you had to, it was, you had to bring your A game every day, man. You know, Snoop Grams, and, you know, we had guys from all over, you know, that come home and and, and 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 like, you know, you you just had to bring your game. You know, you had to work on your game, and it was just big time back then. You mentioned John so, John Harnett. Who who was he for people that don't know? Oh man, John was the you know the greatest teacher I've, I've ever met of basketball. Um, he learned under John Cheney and Sonny. Um, Sonny Hill. John is responsible of 
you know, helping some, just like Claude Gross and T. Shields in South Philly who help, you know, Lionels and Nate Blackwells and, 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 you know, Clarence Thomas, everybody know, you know, uh, Claude Gross who was married to Will Chamberlain's sister, big, big Philly legend. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, John was the, the guy from uptown in Germantown. And, um, you know, Aaron McKee, uh, I mean, myself, Pooh Richardson, Snoop Graham, you know, so many guys, you know, he, 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 you know, got us at a young age and taught us how to play, how to, how to, he taught us what IQ in basketball. And, you know, that words get, that word get, you know, get shuffled around, get lost a little bit. Now, it's, you know, it's about talent and skill and, you know, athleticism, but like we really learn how to play. Yeah. And, and, and playing with IQ and being able to read and react and, and understand the game um, and learn those fundamentals. I think that's what, you know, that, you know, that Philly brand of basketball. I was, talk, talk I was talking, I was talking to a uh, Philly brand ball. That's how we learned that. I was talking to a college coach over the weekend, a baseball coach, and he was saying that the, the, the skills and the athleticism, they're there. But he said that the intensity and the IQ that the guys had coming up before them is just not there anymore. It, and, and, yeah. and, and the competitive streak isn't there. And he said, so what we're doing is we're actually stripping down some of the tactical stuff um, and getting them back up to speed how we want them. And, and we've got to totally teach them the competitive, the nasty streak pretty much, or try to get it out of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this development thing right now is just trying to get that back, you know, get that, that, that brand of basketball back, you know, teaching, you know, how to play on the floor, you know, how to think, how to read, how to play, you know, that brand of basketball. You know, you, you look at the European um, and you see why they're being so successful, um, it, you know, because they, they run those development where they get those kids at a young age and they, they teach them how to play the game and they're getting that IQ. And, you know, you got your Donkages and your Jokic and, and those guys that, you know, they know how to play basketball um, because they've been doing it since a young age. It's not just bouncing around, you know, playing dad ball. Your dad coached the AAU team and, <laughs> and you travel yeah. and then, like, you know, you know, if you if you're not getting playing time, you know, you go to this team, or then you go to that team, or or you get more sneakers on this team, or whatever it is, it's like it's so watered down. You know, if you want to play basketball, you just get a team, and and you got 50 million teams, and and you're just playing games and going and traveling, playing in tournaments, and 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 yeah, you know, you'll get one out of whatever 100 kids, you know, to end up being okay because he's six six and he's athletic, but you know, who's really learning the game. You're not really competing against the best guys in the gym learning every day how to get back, how to play. What spacing is all about. You know, how to react, how to how to how to find a gap in the defense, how to drive a kick, how to jump stop and pivot and pass. You know, how to go both ways, drive left, drive right, you know, that kind of stuff. And and um and, and that like you said, that's that's been lost right now. But that's what we learned, you know, playing in the gym with Pooh Richardson and you know, Dennis Whitaker and, and, you know, some of the tough players, you know, you had to, you had to earn that, you know, that right to get on the court. You know, you had to, you know, you had to get beat up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and fight and scratch and, and learn how to play defense and, and, and all those things, you know, and compete. And I think that's what, you know, we got to get, you know, get that brand of basketball back. When you were at LaSalle, 
what did you learn about yourself? Because you guys had success on the court. We talked about that. What did you learn about yourself as a man? How, how did you develop? Again, because you, you continue to avoid, and now, you know, drugs are in college, like, like the culture, you know, cocaine is like a popular, people think it's like, oh, people can do cocaine. Uh, and, and you're kind of around that. How do you navigate those waters as a young man? Well, I mean, unfortunately, you know, it, it, like you said, just seeing it, you know, seeing so many talented guys. I mean, there's so many, and you know, yeah. grew up around, you know, so many guys that can could have made it to the NBA, Yeah, you know, that I watch play. You know, I mean, guys that can just, just flat out just go, and, and, and you see them get caught up. And, and guys who made it to the NBA, right? And they just and like, like guys, yeah, William exactly. Bedford, like those guys, like guys that just yeah. kind of fell right off because yeah, of cocaine exactly. abuse right away. Right. I mean, you know, we got Philly guys. I mean, we used to go watch, you know, Lewis Lloyd down in the bakery. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you had, uh, you know, had those guys and, and Billy Billy Ray Bates and, and, you know, guys, you know, Joe Bryant, you know, got so many guys yeah. we watch. Like, man, you, know, you find out that those guys had some addiction problems. And you remember the, the NBA in the 70s and 80s was a big, big drug thing back then with, with, with guys. And I used to see some of the Sixers in my neighborhood, like, yo, what is he doing? I know that guy. Like, yeah. he live on my block. He's a drug dealer. Like, what? What, what is Daryl talk like? You know, what yeah. some of these guys doing yeah. around my neighborhood? You know, you used to see like some of those guys. I don't want to tell on everybody. But, yeah, no, I got you. you. Know, and it, but it, it was, you know, it, you see it, and then, um, you know, and then, and then, like you said, you know, you remember the Len Bias story came out, you know, mm-hmm. in the eighties. You know, then it's like, wow, when when Len when that happened to Len Bias, it's like. That kind of scared everybody straight, um, you know. So it was like it was so much of that stuff going on in during that time that like kind of like yo man, that's that's a whole nother league. We're gonna learn from those guys. That's what like our era, you know, kind of like you know the Poos. You know, that's when Poo got drafted to the league, and then you know Bo got drafted. Hank would have been drafted. Rest in peace if he had. How did that affect up. you? The, the Hank Gathers situation for oh, I man, mean that was a historic deal. The guy he I have it's about Hank Gathers, but I have cardiomyopathy too. He had the hypotrophic uh, cardiomyopathy. He literally in their conference tournament. I mean the team's on top of the world. He dunks a basketball and collapses. And loses his life, and and you're one of his best friends. You're playing in the conference tournament across the country. How how did that? How did I can't imagine that didn't have a huge impact on you, Doug, as a young oh, man. man. Yeah, it was, it's, to this day, I mean, and, and to be honest with you, let's fast forward to you know my most recent experiences in in in, in addiction, like. I'm realizing that a lot of those things I never had a chance to grieve. So I'm getting therapy on things that, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff that was coming to the surface that I just never really had a chance to to grieve and process. And Hank obviously was one of them. And my best friend Randy Slade um, was 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 another one who who was shot 17 times and, and some drug related stuff um, that he played on the high school. We were best friends since kindergarten. Um, and, uh, so it was like, and then John passing, like it, it was so much, you know, death that, that, that was happening over my, you John, know, John, your, your basketball mentor. Yeah. John yeah. passed away the weekend that my son who just turned, I think miles might've turned 12 or 11. I would just hand him miles over to John. So John could start mentoring him and John worked him out at St. Joe's 
Friday night, and that was the last time we saw John. So literally, John worked out my son. But that was the last workout John had. We found him Monday morning at his apartment. Wow. So, like, that was, like, devastated me because here I was great. I was passing the torch down to my son. Like, hey, yo, John, you got him. You know, teach him. And he was just excited about my Like, wow, talking about full circle, now I'm working with Doug's son. And uh, then he passed away. So that, you know, it was just so much. Are you finding that, now in, in the work that you're doing on yourself and the work that you're helping others do on themselves, like a lot of that shit we're just stuffing away? Um, yeah, because you know, yeah. we're not supposed to grieve because maybe you're a young, tough man. And at the time you're in the NBA and you got to get on with it. Let's go on with the show. I For a guy like you, too, you're fighting to stay in the league, you know, a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, when when my best friend, you know, Hank, like you said, we, we playing in a conference tournament against Siena. And um, I'm, I'm like looking over at the stands. We up probably double digits. Game's almost over. And I'm like you know, Speedy trying to take me out the game and my mom looking over my mom, I'm seeing people crying in the stands. I'm like, what's going on? And you see people like, you know, the word is getting around in the arena and then Speedy call a timeout, take, take, take us out the game. I'm like, yo, he never takes it out. Like normally like, well, like a minute to go or two minutes. It's like four minutes to go. And he's like, yo. And I like look back at my mom and she's, you know, just bawling, crying. And I run off the court into the locker room. You know, uh, so Speedy told it, you on the bench. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, I, yeah, because at that point, I'm looking at my mom crying, mm-hmm. and everybody in the stands is like, you know, full of tears. I'm like, yo, what's going on? And yeah. then they like, yo, Hank passed away. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. So Lionel, we all did. You know, I, I just remember going off the court. You know, we had to thank God we had the game one, and um, you know, we had to decide. You know, we was up all night in the hotel. Deciding if we, you know, Speedy was like, "Look, I understand if y'all don't want to play in the championship game, you know, that's fine." And you know, we just wrestled with it all night, and then, and then end up saying like, "What would Hank want us to do?" And you know, for some reason we came up with the strength to play and, and, and win the tournament. We'll get back to this conversation in a second, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Yeah, man, it, it, you know, like you said, it just, just things. And then like, you, you know, like from there, you know, now you, you're trying to make it. And then, and then, uh, and like I said, you know, I'm losing friends, losing key people. And, and like you said, we didn't know about therapy. We didn't know about talking, you know, I'm dealing with it, you know, growing up in, you know, abusive home, right. With my mom and dad separating and, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, things going on there. And having to grow up so fast, and um, and then playing like you said, being a journeyman and trying to grind this this thing out as long as I can, and dealing with injuries and 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 ten day contracts, and and trying to make a living out of that. Going to Australia, going to Barcelona, playing in the CBA, which is now the G League. You know, trying to just stay alive to, to you know to to make the most out of this. Did you feel you any know, pressure? You, like you, said, you, you really you really don't realize what you really not dealing with yeah and, and where where are you starting to put different things and, and placing different things in your subconscious and how things come out later what, what was the situation like at home growing up yeah well it was tough i mean you know it was me and my sister she's three years older than me and um yeah we bounced around like my parents 
you know, split. It was always physical, physically, you know, with my mom and dad fighting and, and um, you know, neighbors always outside and, and you know, it was just, a, you know, a big deal. And um, really, they ended up leaving. My mom ended up leaving. I think we, I was like 10. My sister might have been like 13. And we went to my grandmom's house out in Southwest Philly and I stayed there. And then we stayed at my aunt's house and we bounced around, you know, all the way through high school. Um, and then uh, and then she finally got her own place my senior year, going into LaSalle. She got her own apartment. And um, by then I was getting ready to go to college. So, yeah, it, it was, you know, but, you know, back then, you know, I had basketball. And, and, and that's the fortunate thing that I had. You know, I, 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 I just buried everything in that. And um and uh you know, as long as she was safe and you know, wherever we lived at we made the most of it. You know, we was with family. But you just living, like, you know, you, you see you see it a lot, you know, obviously growing up and, and it, it kinda like becomes normalized and um, you know, you deal with it and you know, you see how things are and um but I had a lot of resentments that I, I learned later in life that I was holding on to. You know, obviously, with with that, with growing up. What, what, anything? What came of dad? Uh, my dad is still around. He's eighty years old. He worked for the gas company for thirty years. <laughs> um, uh, he's remarried and been married for twenty something years. Is it, my stepmom? Um, he's a retired police officer. She just retired, and um, right now he's he's dealing with a lot of health issues. You know, has dementia. You know, stage two dementia right now. Um, but I, I learned, like I said, I've done a lot of work, um, and, and a lot of the work I've just done in the last two years, yeah. you know, talking about things and, and, and being open about it in group sessions and therapy and, and, um, not realizing like that those things carry and they can, and, and, and they, you can hold on to those things and you can bury those things and they can, they can resurface later. And, and, but I, I, I forgave my dad, um, in my own way. Um, and a part of it was, you know, wanting to be a great father and a great husband, um, and then raising my kids. And I was married, you know, 27 years and, you know, put my kids to, you know, great schools and wanted to give them a great house with a pool and, you know, and, and, and all that, like what I didn't have. And I think that was a lot to how I was growing up and like, you know what, I'm going to give them the best environment that I didn't have so I had two kids just like it was me and my sister with my son who's three older three years older than my daughter you know and they went to Walden Academy and you know my son went to the prep and my daughter went to Shipley and he went to Wake Forest and she went to Yale it's like you know what you know that was part of like you know what me and my wife she grew up in a single family home in Camden New Jersey with seven brothers and five brothers and a sister and, and a lot of, you know, three of her brothers incarcerated and one overdosed over heroin. Um, and so she'd been through a lot. And we both kind of like was going through this thing, like, you know, like we've been through a lot. and But we never talked about it. It just was like we just wanted to do have the best life for our kids. But neither one of us really dealt with her past or mine. Yeah. So... 
um, we understand those things now. Like I said, you know, I mean, man, if I if I'd have known about getting third, if I'd have known about getting therapy, you know, fifteen years ago, or ten years ago, or twenty years ago, being able to talk about my childhood and how I was raised and stuff like that, um, and then realizing that, you know, what addiction can mean, like, could I get addicted to smoking pot and drinking and all that? You know, it's like no way you would, I would ever thought that. You know, and then here at 45 years old, 46 years old, you know, I'm, I'm getting hooked up with, you know, some people and, and, and doing things that I never thought that um, would have happened. So, yeah, and you learn. You and, learn, you know, it's kind of like how, how would you think they could have them? Because you're 46 years old. I mean, really, because a lot of people, you know, when, when it had kind of surfaced that you were having problems, my first thing was like, that's not the guy I, I, I know. Like flat out, like not that anybody was coming to me for comment, but I was like, that, I, I can tell you. And other people who are way more notable than myself said the same thing. Like, this is not, this is not the guy you, you'd earned an, an impeccable reputation over the course of 46 years or, or, or however long. And the one thing I want to ask you, part of your reputation, man, everybody knew you worked hard. You were competitive. You were compassionate. You always had a big smile on your face. Was there, was, was, was there any pressure to keep that up? Because everybody counts on you to come into the yeah. room and sort of light it up and be super positive. Uh, was there any pressure there? Yeah, <clears throat> but I didn't know that. But yeah, I think that part of it was that buildup where it's like, I've, I've been that guy, like you said, for so long. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i going all the way back to 11 years old telling my mom, like, yo, you got to get out of here. It's time. Like growing up, you know, wanting to beat my dad up you know, for, for hitting my mom or, you know, or telling her like, you know what, enough is enough. You're trying to make this work and we just got to get out of here. And, and like making those grown decisions at a young age, you don't realize that, you know, being able to, um, you know, see your best friend get killed and, 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 and growing up and, and making decisions like um, that I had to do, you know, being a big brother for, you know, my sister who, you know, had to see a lot, even though she was older than me. And, and, and then growing up in the environment, you know, saying no to drugs and making those decisions. And um, like you said, you know, I was the first player, you know, when I made it to the NBA, I, I came back and ran a camp in my old neighborhood where I grew up. And I did it every year for 20-something years, free of charge. And like, but it was everything. Like, I always wanted to help and, and be mentor, taking care of my family and helping my wife's, you know, family. And, you know, her brothers and their problems. And I remember going up to Lebanon, you know, taking yeah. her brothers rehabs, you know, up there all the time, you know, giving them clues and helping them out and their problems. And like you said, I never taught, I never knew about taking care of myself. Yeah. I didn't know what self-care was about. And I think like once my daughter graduated from Shipley and, you know, we decided to move back, you know, like, okay, you know, enough with the pool and the house and like, let's move back and downsize, you know, like the normal people do. We yeah. Move back to, so you yeah. downsized and move back to like a nice area of Philly. Yeah. We move right back to St. Joe's right in Overbrook. Uh -huh. on the same block as Michael Nutter's on, you know, we, yeah. you know, in that area, Winfield, we got my wife's a real estate. So we got a nice house. Nice house. Um, Michael you know, Nutter, the old mayor of yeah. Philly. Yes. People yep, don't yep, know. Yep, yeah. Mayor, yeah. Right in Winfield, right down the street from St. Joe's. And then, you know, my wife had a little, uh, uh, beach property in Lewis, Delaware. And um, so, like, you know, we, we, we're going back and forth from there. And, and 
living living pretty good and then um and you're coaching and 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 you know you I'm like coaching. yeah we touched on the fact yeah, that you were I was doing you were with the Sixers first, then you were at St. Joe's, right? Stop me if I'm wrong. And then you're working for the Nets, head coach yep. of the D League team, and then you get a job coaching at, at Lincoln University. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I came home for a year. I started doing TV because I wanted. Yeah, because you do Comcast. The same year shit. Right. Yeah. And um, it started out with with uh, yeah. When I left Brooklyn, I came home. I, I did the Comcast because I wanted to watch her for a senior year. And um, you know, you know, obviously that's when the Springfield team left to go to Grand Rapids. Yeah, and I wasn't. I, you know, I decided I wasn't going to go to Grand Rapids at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We all made that. Decision. Yeah, and uh, I said, you know what? This is a perfect time for me to like watch my my daughter play her senior year, and and um, and you were good on you know you you were working with the Sixers. Uh, yeah, I was covering with covering the Sixers, the Sixers and. And, uh, and, yeah, things are going. Things on the outside, they look yeah. like they're going great, man. Especially, it's weird because yep. now back in Philly, I'm sure you're back inside on TV. You're back inside the homes of the people that, that know you and yeah, grew up absolutely. with you. Yeah, so people are probably yep. excited about that. I'm so excited, and 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 you know, dropping my daughter, going to her soccer games, going to her basketball games, the Shipley, and, and you know, being involved and being around, like you said. Doing TV, st- still staying involved in the game, Men- still mentoring, helping helping the guys out. You know, coming out of college and pros and workouts and Jameer and Kyle and all the guys that you know, you know, so many, so many Philly, you know, Philly guys. You know, still, you know, still helping out with that. And then, um, and then I hooked up with a couple guys that I went to high school with, and played ball with, and you know, I was like, you know what? I could smoke a little bit of weed and hang out. I'm back in Philly. My wife was like, I knew like that wasn't good for me when we came back to Philly because we started hanging out, uh-huh. you know, on the, you know, hanging out with these guys. And I was like, you know what? You know, I could smoke a little bit on the weekend. Whatever. Had never you never tried. smoked before? It was almost like a reward thing. Like I felt like I earned it. And you never like, smoked you know, everybody before? Everybody around me, I never smoked before at all. I had no idea how to roll up a joint or blunt, whatever it is. And I think that's what happens because now – Obviously, after going to treatment and realizing, like, I had two psychoses and and that, that the weed I was smoking wasn't weed. It was weed laced with PCP um, that I was getting hooked. And that's when I realized that, you know, wife was like, oh, you're acting kind of strange and stuff going on and boom, boom, boom. And I'm not really realizing. I'm, I'm just smoking weed. And I'm still functioning, going to work. At this time, I'm at Lincoln or whatever. And um not realizing that I'm here, I'm smoking some some stuff that's got me addicted, and, and it's more than that. And 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 then and then looking back, like I never rolled up any weed. Every time I went and got my weed from the my guy, quote unquote, a friend who I thought somebody that I knew from back in the '80s, it was all he always rolled them up for me. Mm-hmm. So it was like it was like almost like going to pick up a pack of cigarettes. He was already they were already pre rolled. So I had no idea now that I look at it, I'm just trusting somebody to give me whatever. Um, not even knowing, like, I couldn't tell what we was, you know, what was good, what was bad, what was mixed, what was in it. And which, no which kind of speaks to, like, the mentality that, that when you start to enter into this whole realm, right, it's like uh, you don't know what you're getting, you know, you kind of trust who you're getting it from, but is it really? It's all this, all these problems now that come into Doug's life that would have never happened before if he didn't pick up that first joint, you know? 
Exactly. Exactly. And then and then that's when the resentment start coming and I'm realizing that, yo, like what's the bigger issue? Like what am I escaping from? And like what what's you know, and and then I think that's when it all started. Like, well, you know, you you shouldn't be doing this and then like the more people told me I said, I'm like, yo, you know what, I earned this. You know. And that's when I started, like you said, it's like, yo, I never, I never took care of my, like, this was part of like, you know what, I'm retired now, you know, I done put kids through school, I done took care of everybody, I done mentored everybody, I done did this, and like, like, you know, instead of like going pick up some golf clubs, I picked up some weed, yeah. like, like, this is what I want to do, you know, yeah. I want to hang out, and I want to, I want to smoke like everybody else is doing, this is the cool thing. I mean, it's cliche, Doug, but it's like, no more Mr. Nice Guy. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've, I've been doing exactly. stuff for everybody else my whole life. That's what you, you said, it, and that's what, you know, and, and it's amazing how your mind tricks you like that. And thinks like, yo, you know what, like, dude, you earned this, you know, you, and you, your mind really starts telling you things like that. It's like, yo, that, and the more somebody told me, like, yo, dude, why, why are you doing that? You know, the more you resent, and like, no, nah, I'm doing this because I want to do it. F you. I want to do this. So that's when. That, that's when that started to uh, become a problem. People in your life were like, hey, this is this is getting out of control? Well, the pe- a lot of people didn't know because at the time I was still work- working. Yeah. I, was co- I was head coach at Lincoln, and I'm driving out to Chester County every day. I'm still doing some stuff with the Sixers on the weekend. Um, it was not until I had that, 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 that incident in, in, um, not far from my house Um and uh, she got arrested for indecent exposure because it's out there. Yeah, we'll just say it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and again, one, the denial part was I didn't realize I was having a psychosis then Yeah, because I was hot and, 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 and not knowing that, you know, getting to the bottom of it. So it's almost and like a blackout, just, right? Doug, like, like you're, yeah, you're on, you're on the trail. Blackout. Yeah. You're on the trail. You're People the said trail. You, were, you were showing, you know, your, 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 your wiener off I, and, uh, yeah, and you're kind of yep. just blacked out. Yeah, kind of blacked out. I remember going to the bathroom. I just I'm going to the bathroom, but I I just remember being real hot, obviously. And then, like I said, not knowing what those symptoms and 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 what that drug does. I'm thinking I was just smoking weed. So I'm like, no way. But you like smoke yeah, smoke I, a joint, and then I'm gonna go walk the dog, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm smoking, you know, this laced up shit, and and. <laughs> You know, I'm 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 out, and like I said, I had a blackout and really didn't remember what the hell happened. Yeah, and um, so and this happened. This and, happened again, like like, and it's yeah, and then, which, again in which, 2020, which, which lends to the addiction side of it, right? It's like you would exactly. think you would think anybody because I can relate. I mean, you know, I got into I got into some big trouble myself, right? And uh, it took me a lot to get to to, to reach my bottom, but. I continue to bang my head against the wall and be like, I can do it again, or that didn't matter, or even convince myself like they were wrong. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And, and yeah. it, like, like your mind tells you, whatever, whatever you can do to bargain getting high again, then you know, whatever your drug of choice is, uh, yours in this case is weed, which you didn't know was lace. Like it's just like you know, you end up doing the same shit again and getting in trouble the same yeah. way again. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and, and what well, I was, you know, obviously when you get in trouble, and and you know, I had, you know, court stuff and probation and drug testing and all that, and, and you know, so I, I didn't, I didn't smoke anything for a year, but that kind of hurt me because it made me think like, well, one, 
they they got it all wrong because I didn't like I said it was a I had no idea that I was I was in a psychosis because I had a blackout. I was like, yo, dude, they tripping. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and and um, I ain't re- you know could remember it. And then when I stopped for that year, um, you know you don't think you got a problem because you're like, okay, I stopped. Yeah. So the next thing you know is like you started picking up again. Like you know what? It was just weed. I could smoke a little bit, and then I get right back to the same, same thing. Not realizing that that whole thing was still an addiction, and that I was going to get right back involved in that. And that's when my wife's like, "Yo, dude, like, like I know people that smoke weed, whatever, whatever. Like, it's more than that. You smoke." And I was like, "Nah, get out of here. It's just whatever, whatever." And then, like, that's when the weed started taking over, and like that's when everything became around that. And then, um, that's when 2020 came and here I'm, I'm living in East Falls. I've got my own place and, you know, it's me and my weed. And, and so did you and your wife get separated? Yeah, we got separated okay. at the time. And then, um, you know, I'm like isolated and, and smoking. And then that's when the pandemic hit and I'm just like, quarantine and I'm like, yo, just just make sure I'm getting my weed and just in the house. And my my mother, I got my mom my mother got a place in the same uh same place, but I, I was in a different part of I was in a loss and she was at an apartment. And then um that's when I had another one, another psychosis. And I'm like outside in my underwear in a courtyard and I'm like spazzed out and People recognize who I was, and police, thank God, they recognize who I was. They tased me. Yeah, they could have easily shot me. Yeah. I think like a couple of days before that, the guy in West Philly who was high off of something, police actually shot. Jeez. But thank God they knew who I was, and they tased me. And again, I don't remember it. I don't remember what happened. You know, they tell me, yo, you was outside, and, you know, again, like no clothes on, you know, bugging out in, in the apartment complex in the courtyard throwing people furniture and that's when they had in the paper that I was armed robbery or whatever yeah. but I actually was having a psych coaches and I was I took somebody's lawn uh, patio furniture off the balcony <laughs> and like threw it in the yard or some shit and that's when he was like yo was he trying to break that's when they thought like was he trying to break in somebody that's how the paper put it all in that um same as the indecent exposure, like oh he he spoke. They didn't know I was having a psychosis. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, well, again, um, I mean, in their defense, there's zero drug history with you. I guess the second time there was. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. What, yeah, you know, and people are like yo, what's going on with him? Like yo, what you know, what's the deal? And again, with me, it was like, I because I thought I was smoking weed. And I didn't have a problem, and and then not realize how heavily addicted I was at this point on this serious freaking thing. Um, it didn't happen until the second time, you know, and I found myself in Bryn Mawr Hospital at the psych ward for four days, you know, getting through the psychosis. This is when I realized, oh, shit, man, like, what, dude, this is not normal. Like, this is not what normal. Even people that smoke weed like this is something different. And then that's when I started getting the therapy. I went to Karen for 30 days, and then I went to Karen Renaissance down in Boca Raton and um, and, and really started doing the work. So you're, you're, at Bryn Mawr. you're at Bryn Mawr, and, and, and you're like, I need to, and you kind of surrender. 
you're like, I need to go to treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the first couple of days at, at Bremar, like kind of fuzzy to me, obviously, I think I was still out of it. Um, you know, in the, in that psychotic, uh, mind frame. And then by the third day I was like, Oh shit. Like, okay. All right. I need to get help. You know, what's going on. And, you know, and that's what people realize. I think, you know, like, yo, Doug, we got to get him help. Now, now we understand what's going on. Yeah. When we know that's not him. We know that, okay, he has a drug problem. And, um, and that's, that's when the help start. That's when it started. It's like, okay, now I realize everything my wife and my ex-wife, whatever everybody was saying was, you know, okay, now, now, the, now it's all coming together where I was at. Did you feel... Did you, did yeah, you, you feel like a release almost when you kind of put it like, okay, I'm yeah. going like, like, gosh, yeah. like, man. Yeah. yeah, I did. And I was, I was like, that was the most surrenderous part. Like, and my son came in from Miami and he picked me up from Bremar and, and was taking me straight to Karen and that drive. I just felt like the biggest release in all my life was that ride from Burnmont Hospital to to Karen. I actually felt like this is the first time that I can let go and take care of myself. I like I finally felt like, wow, like like now you now is this is the big like you you did it. Like now you can take care of yourself. Now you really hit the bottle and now we can and 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 it honestly, like obviously, I'm still, you know, got drugs in me, and, and I know like I'm still kind of in that state. But yeah, I had that feeling like, yo, yo, you know what? You can't fight this no more. Like now, it's time to like get the help you need and surrender. What started to and happen to you when you when you got um, to when you got to treatment? Oh man, I mean, it, I went through everything like, with normal. You know, guys go through, you know, one, I was in denial and two, like, yo, you know, I don't do, I belong, I'm not an alcoholic. I never did, you know, you know, I'm new to, you know, this is, and then it was like, you know what? No, 40, you know, you're here because you got a problem and you need to figure out why. And then that's when the work started happening. When I bought into, like, yo, you got to get to the bottom of, you know, because you don't want this to have this the second time. And now, yeah, you got a problem. You, you affected your family. You know, you embarrassed, you know, your name. And obviously it's like, you know, like I said, it, it, you know, like, yo, what's going on? So that's when I realized, um, you know, I was in the right place. And this is when the hill and, 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 and the, 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 uh, the beginning stages of, of, of putting things back together. And it felt relief, like, okay, now I finally realized. And then that's what I learned in therapy and groups, like, you don't know what you don't know, and addicts don't know that addiction is addiction, that it's a sickness, it's a disease, and you can't beat yourself up over that because, you know, some people can drink and not, not have an addiction problem. Some people can smoke weed and not be, you know, but others that can happen to, or you can get addicted, whatever. You can start taking pain pills because you was in a car accident and end up getting hooked on heroin, and then you start realizing, like, you know what, I'm not the enemy. You know, I, I'm, I'm going through something that happened to me in life and that uh, I have a disease and, and, and this was an addiction. And then I started processing those incidents that happened. 
some things that was going on and realized I'm like, yo, you know what? That's, that's not you. That's not that dog from that, that for 30 something years was, was great. Like you can get back to being that guy again. Yeah. That, that's, that's know, pretty not, awesome. You're feeling. not somebody that just exposing yourself or you, you know, you were under, and <laughs> you were under. So, so it actually like made me feel like, okay, thank God. I'm not just <laughs> yeah. like, what people think is going on. Like, yo, what's up with this dude? And it's like, you know what? Okay, now I understand that. And that was a big thing. Like, wow, okay, I get it. Like, okay, now start finding out, you know, what does the symptoms of PCP or, or we lace with this? And and then I've started, and then I've got guys and that's in my, that's being admitted. Like, I had one kid who went to Bucknell. You know, this kid was a lacrosse player. Bucknell was on a highway with no clothes on. And, yeah. and he had the same thing. And he was in there. His parents admitted him. One of his parents was on the board at camp. And then I'm I'm in meeting. He like yo, dude. Like yeah, I was with the same thing. I, yeah. was, I was smoking weed that was laced, and like yeah, your body gets this way and this. And then you had to cool, you know. And I'm like, I remember when Martin Lawrence had that incident when he was running yeah. down the street. And, uh-huh. and then I start doing research and realize, okay, all right, good. Now I'm learning what, what was happening and realize, okay, that's not you. That's not who you are. That is what you were at that time under that substance. And then that's when the healing started. It's such a, it's such a relief. It's a lot of shame and guilt, you know, obviously, you know, and then being a public figure and having to read about stuff and some stuff that's not true and people saying that this, this, and this, and then me not knowing that it was addiction. And then once I realized that, and like you said, you know, like step one, once I realized I was unmanageable and that, that, you know, that, uh, I had a problem. That's when I started to open up to getting help. Isn't uh, that the best? It's, dude. I mean, with your the magnitude of the type of person you are, you know, NBA player, NBA coach, and uh, everybody around Philly knows who Doug Overton is. There had to be shame connected, right, to to these to these incidents. And uh, on the other side of that, there's no better place to go than a place like Karen or rehab where you can really, you're almost in a bubble and, and you can pro you can process it. And when you come out, like talking to you right now, it's very obvious. Like you're, you're, you're pretty light, you know, like we talk about wearing life, like a loose shirt. You talk about this stuff, um, with a, with a great understanding and a great humility. And, uh, you could tell there's been a lot of processing done on, on your end. At least it feels like that. Uh, how did you work through that stuff, like in treatment and on the other side? Yeah, I mean, it took a lot of work. You know, obviously, um, doing this extensive, intensive treatment and going down to Karen and spending another four or five months in intensive therapy. How um, important is that, Doug? But that extra oh, four man. or five months? It, huh? Oh man! And I tell guys that, like, you you think thirty days is enough? I always tell them, man, keep going, do more, like get to the root of it. Is because then it becomes not just about the drug or the alcohol or the addiction. It becomes to the, the the depression, anxiety. What led to it? Like, what are some of the stresses? What what are some of the things that you had to deal with? And and to me, it was dealing with a lot of those things that we talked about in the beginning. You know, my childhood, my my growing up in a broken home, my my um my my grief and loss. I had I had all these things that I I, I was able to to spend time in and I'm wondering like all right, when I'm in Karen why am I going to a grief and loss session like why am I in this grief like why am I going to childhood uh, 
um, you know, talking about childhood trauma and stuff like that. And then once I got into it and I realized, wow, a lot of this stuff, you know, resentments and shames and guilt and all these things that you hold in is what leads you to, you know, picking up or leads you to, you know, those things, you know, mental health. And, and, and now you see it, like you see these terms and you see these things all over the time. And then, um, but the best part about it was my kids actually going through this process with me and realizing that, you know, part of what I was going through, you know, my son was going through some, you know, some stuff. My, my daughter, even though she, you know, she very, very high achieving it, obviously going to Yale and, and doing big things. She dealt with a lot of anxiety because she put so much pressure on herself to perform. And then my son, like being a basketball player and wanting to follow him much footsteps and things didn't work out for him. He was dealing with depression. And I didn't realize that those things was affecting me because we never talked about it. Yeah. And then I was like, I was, I was bearing a lot of those resentments because of my kids. And I didn't feel like I, I was doing enough to help them. So until I fell and then the bottom fell out of me and my kids were there for me to support me because they were saying the whole time that we knew this wasn't you. We knew that you were, it was something that you were going through. We knew that that wasn't the dad that raised us because you were a great dad. You're a great guy, great person. We knew it was something that was the drug and addiction. You just didn't realize that. And that's when I realized, wow, they were right. And, um, and then, then we started doing this family uh, process and then work. And they were like really involved with this treatment with me and doing these sessions. And then my son ended up saying, like, a few months ago, like, your dad, if you had not gone through what you went through, my son and my daughter both said it to me, we wouldn't be better off where we're at right now. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And that's when I realized, you know what? That's when you go through what you go through. And I'm sure you say the same. It makes you a better person if you come out the other side of it. And it, and it, it can heal. It can break a generational curse. Yes. It snaps, so that, it that, snaps that, off that, that branch of the family tree. Yeah, it yeah. was like from what my dad and then I, I had I realized what he went through, being you know four, seven, fourteen siblings and how he was raised and that affected him, you know, in his marriage. Like nobody taught him because he grew up a certain way, and then you know you break that. And now my son is having conversations like, "Yo, I understand about getting therapy. I understand about talking about your film. I understand about all these things." And I'm like, wow, that's great because he'll be able to, you know, one day when he have kids, you know, understand what we went through. And um, so it's like it's a, it's been a blessing in disguise now because, you know, I'm so open now to talk about my feelings. I, I, I still have a therapist. You know, I can still talk about, you know, things and, and tell people the importance of not holding stuff in and sharing and, and, and making sure you take care of yourself first. I would not have known that if, if none of you, if, if all that would not have happened. Well, and, and it's weird because out. you wouldn't be talk. You probably wouldn't be talking to the kids you're talking to or the young men you're talking to over at right synergy houses, and uh, you w- wouldn't be talking to me on this platform where you have the ability to help other people. Like, uh, it's weird, man. I mean, you play it the right way. Um, you being anybody that struggles with addiction, and 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 you kind of get on the right side of this thing and you can help a shitload of people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I intended to do. And that's what I said, um, 
you know, when I when I got out, it's like, you know what? I've done everything. I played at the highest level. I coached at the highest level. I've been a head coach. I've done everything. Like, I want to give back at this in this this game of life and recovery and dedicate and help the people that the John Harnett's in recovery that helped me through this and the people at Karen and, and the people along the way. And, um, and then you realize like everybody dealing with some kind of shit, <laughs> whether yeah. you're in addiction or not. And like, you know yeah. what? And then I'm looking at like, now people realize like, yo, they understand what I went through. And like now, now it's like not that stigma of what they people read about. And then they understand like, Oh man, that, Yo, I've been through that. Like I had people tell me, yo, man, I had a psychosis too. Like I had, a, I had, I had an edible, or I had a brownie, or somebody gave me a, 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 a some weed, and I flipped out too. But I was at home, or I flipped out, and you know, you got to remember, my shit happened. You know, I'm in the newspaper. It could have <laughs> happened a million times, and nobody will read about what somebody went through. Yeah. So now I got people like, yo, no, dude, that I understand that. Like we get it, and then you realize, okay, you're not that that person that there is like, man, most people can relate because they're dealing with some, some form of something, depression, anxiety, you know, a lot of people, you know, my mom, my mom always tell me if somebody's pointing their finger at you, they got three fingers pointing back at them. So, <laughs> you know what, like, uh, own up what you, what you do. And, 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 and that's what I learned at Karen. That's what I learned at, and, and going to meetings and AA and all that. It's like, you know what? The minute you accept it, the minute you 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 take ownership of it, and and well, first of all, if you don't, you deem to repeat it again because you're in denial and it can happen. But secondly, it's like that's when you 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 know you you begin the healing process. And now I can live a great life without any alcohol, or any drugs. I got coping skills. I got a great relationship with my with, with, with my, my ex-wife, best friends. You know my kids, you know, and and I'm helping people, and I'm helping young people that can potentially go through what I went through or going through what what, what I went through. So, what do you tell some just, of those young kids? I mean, and we'll wrap up here in a minute. But what do you tell some of those young kids? I mean, I mean, I think what love what, it reminds me of, of, of being in a locker room. I tell them it's no different. It's just we just talking about winning that life opposed to winning a basketball game. You know, they they I, it's amazing how they like they they glue to me their eyes their ears. One because they they see may hear somebody that went through you know had everything went through you know obviously playing in the NBA playing against Michael Jordan LeBron and Kobe and all these guys. Boom, here something this is human and as real as possible can happen to him and. And I tell them, like, yo, it can happen to anybody. Like, that doesn't define, this doesn't define who you are. You know, getting to the bottom of it, putting the work in, learning this can define what you can be. You know, you got a lot. I was 50 years old making this, you know, going down this road. You guys are 18, you're 24, 25. Like, you you, you can fix this and, and, and do some awesome things for the rest of your life. I was able to do a lot of great things early in my life. And then, you know, I had my, my experience later in life. So I, I'm, I'm kind of fortunate that, you know, do you want it to happen at any point in your life? No, but you know, I can say that, you know, I, I did a lot of things. So for me, you know, 
my end of the road is near than most people. So I can I can look back and say, you know what, whatever time I got left here, you know, at 52 to whatever, hopefully, you know, I can I can dedicate it to this and making a difference. And they, they love it. Like these guys, like, man, you you know, I tell them, like, yo, go, make sure you talk to your therapist. How much your therapist make an hour? <laughs> get, I mean? get that money's worth. 50 an hour. Yeah. Like, yo, make them fucking, make them work for that. <laughs> you know, don't just sit in a room and they getting paid all this money and you don't want to talk because, you you know, and I'm telling them, like, I had to realize, like, yo, make them earn that dollar that they make, that, that $150 or $200 hour. Give them everything that you, that's possibly on your mind, on your plate. Talk about all that stuff that's going to help you. And they laugh, but then they realize, like, yo, you're right. I said, go to that meeting, go to that AA meeting, go to that MA meeting, whatever it is. I said, talk in this group. I said, put your work in. I said, you got to put the work in if you want this. I said, you can have a great life. And um, and and, and it, it's fulfilling. It, it helps me, too. It helps me process this, too. I mean, do I have still have days? You know, is the people out there that still may look at me? You know, yeah. You know? But that's okay, because now I realize it now, and I wouldn't change it. Like I can't change it, first of all. And secondly, you know, I, I'm even better than I was before. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's only one way out of any of this. Like, like any of that, like those thoughts of, you know, whether they reappear, the thoughts of shame, or just, just, or just on, on every day being aggravated. For me, recovery is the only way out. So it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just like... There's there's no solution to that shit that doesn't start and end with recovery in one way or another for yeah. me. So it's like and, and like you said, I I have a body of work in in sobriety that shows that I'm a better person and things work out for me if I stay the course. You know, and I got a body of work that shows what happens if I don't. Uh, it's it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. Like and I love I've I've used that before too, Coach. The uh, the, the locker room thing, because it's, it's like a locker room, man. And, and, and we, we got a playbook to winning. And it's like, if we stick to this, there's evidence there that things will happen for us and things will fall the right way. But you got to do the work. Like you said, you got to show up and make that therapist earn their money. That's right. You're right. I mean, every time I go to Synergy and I walk through that door, it, it, you know, I feel like I'm part of a team, you know, with Timmy and Eric and those guys. Yeah, Eric there. B. Yeah. Uh-huh. Eric B. I mean, you know, you know, you go way back with those guys and Timmy and, and it's like, it's a team, right? You know, and it's like, you feel like, you feel that same. And that's what I told those guys, yo, it, now it's up to you. You got to put that work in. You got to put your own reps in, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to get your shots up. You got to get in the gym and you got to run your four miles a day. You got to put your work out. What, what, what does that mean? It means getting up in the morning. It means giving giving yourself the best chance at recovery for today. You know, if you feel in a certain way, whether it's good or bad, that's okay. Let's figure it out. You know, and and I said if I can do it, and 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 like I said, those guys gave me the opportunity, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And and it, and it's allowed that to. You me I still have that same feeling of being a part of that team, and it's so me now I realize there's so many people like that's dealing with this stuff, man, and so many people like talking you know that they're dealing with it, you know, and then i still I'm still doing basketball where you know i I'm helping so many people with that yeah. now now I just added another piece to it 
where with mental health and being able to take care of yourself. So it, it, it all came full circle. And, you know, thanks to guys like you and Eric and Tim, you know, um, you know, that that's one of my strengths that I've always had. Like, even if I go through a rough time, like, I, I, I'm going to learn, I'm going to listen, I'm going to learn, I'm going to watch the guys that have been down that road before, I'm going to follow them, I'm going to ask questions, I'm going to stay locked in. And then I'm now I feel like I'm back to like that was that's that's what got me to LaSalle. That's what got me to the NBA. That's what kept me in there. Is is and then it's like it's almost like a rebirth, you know, it's like a rebirth. You yeah. know? And, and you, you you know, I feel like I'm twenty five again because I got a new life, I got a new way of seeing things. Um, you know, and, and, and it's good. It's just like you said, it's that sunny side of the street is it's a great, great thing. This is a little bit better than our inside the armor chats, I think. So I, probably, <laughs> oh, man, uh, yeah, it was good okay. stuff. Yeah, no, man, I, I just appreciate you, and, and you know, like I said, uh, you know, it, this is a t- this is a family. Like this is guys that's in recovery, guys that that, that support. You know, it, it's a brothership. You know, and um, I just thank everybody at Karen, and um, I just want to be able to help. You know, what about the people that never got a chance to experience a place like Karen? You know, me coming from Philly, and, you know, I know it's a lot of people that's dealing with a lot that may not have that opportunity to go to a place like that. And you and me know about that. So I want to I be that guy. I want to be that. I want to be able to help those people that maybe not can't get that kind of help, that level of care that we receive. And um, I want to work with guys like you and Timmy and Eric and Karen to help make that happen and helping people that continue to help people that maybe won't be able to get a chance to go through those doors, but you know, we can help and still, and still care about. So that's kind of what I want to do. Doug Overton. I can't thank you enough for the time, man. I'll send you this link. I, we'll probably have this done on Wednesday. So I'll send it to you then. All right. Thanks buddy. Hey, uh, um, one more thing. What's next for you? Like, like, do you see yourself as like the next John Lucas or something like that where you confuse this, this mental health stuff with basketball? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what I want to do. You know, whether it's in Philly, you know, obviously being with Timmy and Eric every day at Synergy House, I'm learning so much from them, you know, that maybe I maybe get an opportunity to do something like that, you yeah. know, to branch off of that, maybe, maybe doing something in, in, in the Philly community. Well, I look um, forward to it because I, I can feel yeah, it. Yeah. Kind of yeah. And then and then I obviously keep in my roots in basketball too, maybe helping student athletes, you know, that type of thing. But, yeah, you got it. That's it. Uh, Coach, man, I appreciate the time. I really can't thank, thank you, you enough. Uh, this is great. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. 
Chevy Colorado, made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data.